Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. This is the continuation of the interview with Alex Brightman. Of course, this is part two. So if you haven't heard part one, pause and go back and listen to the previous episode because it'll put all of what you're about to hear into much better context. Please visit me online at ttp.fm, ttp.fm slash Patreon to show your support. And now here is part two. I was going to say, like, not remakes, not adaptations. And so, like, Beetlejuice is not either. That's a stage adaptation of a musical. Yeah, but it's also what we're doing it's at Beetlejuice. It's original, though. Yeah, what we're doing at Beetlejuice that I think a lot of people were hesitant at the top to, like, go see is that they thought, like everybody, like me, when I first heard it was happening before I was cast, I was like, great, here we go. Another carbon copy of a movie on stage with special effects that are going to wow you and a, a book that's going to be lame and music that's going to not drive the plot forward. Like a lot of adaptations that are happening mm-hmm. or have happened or closed you know, or whatever. just closed yeah. yeah but like i mean but it's gone on for years at this point and yeah. and it's to almost nobody's fault except everybody's fault that was involved and nobody went hey what if we did something more fun mm. what the guys at beetlejuice decided to do is to tell a story and to rewrite it and to adapt it and i think a true good adaptation has a point of view that the movie didn't have or the book didn't have. It has a take on what's going on now. Mm-hmm. And that's what our show does incredibly, I think. It really caters to a now audience. Mm-hmm. It feels timeless because it is done in an old musical theater way, but we, our audiences are the proof, is that we have people in our audiences that have never seen a Broadway show before in their life, and they're 30, or we have dads coming up at the stage door going, I don't even like theater, more or less musical theater, but I'm obsessed with this musical. (laughs) And this is not me trying to sell anybody on the show. This is all what's going on, but it's because we did the thing. For lack, I mean, for like, for really, if you look at, if you strip everything away from Beetlejuice, we're sort of an original musical. We're telling a different story. We're using the characters, but we aren't really telling the same story right. the movie did. Well, it's focused on on Lydia, not the main. Way case. more, yeah, yeah. and it, yeah. and it's and the characters are different, and their their objectives are different, and these storylines don't really mix the way they do in the movie, and I think for better. Oh, um, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, and it's a real, it's a, it's a fully fledged, fleshed out, book musical with heart, and I don't, I would never say that if I didn't feel that way about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was talking I was talking with Alex Timbers, and he, he was saying that what a hack! Yeah, can't do anything right. Um, he was saying that uh, the same same thing is that they that he when someone suggested it to him, the first thing he said was, "Hmm, let me think about it." Yeah, and and so they wanted to figure out. He wanted to figure out how can we make this different and not just an adaptation, right? And I think it is brilliant the way that the set. Yeah, the set, the set is a is its own character. It's yeah, his word for sure. You know, because the set is the same set. It's like a one set show, but the set itself changes so dramatically. Yeah, it breathes, it evolves. It, 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 it literally moves up and down stage. Yeah, it's incredible. It continues to kind of gain character as we go through, which is kind of yeah. fun for us as performers because we get this high budget pretend land 
nothing nothing makes it easier to pretend than having a budget like this too <laughs> like i just like it's so great that they really leaned into the idea that this is not going to be a show i guess you could do it in a black box theater but truly this is one of those shows that needs to be a spectacle too no no it's, it's like not, not unlike wicked i think wicked has its own like heart to it that you could do the reading of it would make you feel something for sure You'd, you'd, you'd see it in a reading setting with fluorescent lights, whatever, and you'd still feel something. I think the same is with Beetlejuice, but what it makes it so exciting is the spectacle of it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's got to be, it's got to feel real while still being in an imaginary land. It, it absolutely has to be grounded and, in some type of reality. It doesn't have to be this reality, but it has to be grounded in a right. reality with rules. Because there's actual, there's real illusions in the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's actual, <laughs> actual illusions in, uh, accompanied with, with amazing puppetry. Yes, and the thing we figured out in DC, which we had a lot of puppetry, a lot of illusion, a lot of great magic, and a lot of uh, hilarity, a lot of great, filthy humor, and it worked, but what we were missing was this beating heart thing. And we figured that out for New York, and that's what I think turned the key in the right direction. It was like, oh, this is, what's make, this is what makes it uh, wicked. This is what makes it you know, something that is a bit more timeless because it is a story that you can really latch onto. Everybody has lost somebody. Mm -hmm. And that idea of like, how, what's the right way to mourn is a fundamental question in our show that I think you'd never expect a musical when you just hear that there's going to be a musical of Beetlejuice to go, I bet it has heart, <laughs> but it does <laughs> it, at every, on every page there's heart, which right. I think is the good step we all made from DC to New York. And we even want for Beetlejuice too. Well, that's good. That's, that yeah. was really well, carefully crafted for this New York production is that we wanted you to feel for somebody who is lonely and he's invisible, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. He's never been seen. And everybody can latch onto that feeling of not feeling like you're being seen. In Beetlejuice's case, it just happens to be literally. But I think that's what makes him so endearing that you sort of forget until about three quarters or even five-eighths of the way through that he's the bad guy. Yeah. Which is great. That's that's a magic trick on its own that I think we've pulled off. Yeah, and and audiences don't realize what they're watching either. Yeah, and that's I think that speaks to the the success of the show too. I'm thrilled about it because I like doing it so much that I'm so happy we're not only running but thriving. Yeah. Are you do you, do you get tired? And I know like people have asked you ad nauseum about <laughs> about the voice. <laughs> but first of all, let me answer that first question. I'm perpetually tired. I'm never not tired. I'm all, I've been tired for 10 years. I've, I don't think there has been a time, even on my honeymoon, that I was like, oh, I feel rested. <laughs> I don't think I'll get it back after all, after all this. But the voice thing is uh, the least tiring thing I do. Really? Yeah, because it was a trick that I learned over the course of a year, uh, very carefully done with people in the medical field with a pathologist uh, and an ENT mm -hmm. and a vocal coach who really, truly took good care in making sure this was going to be sustainable. Otherwise, to be frank, I don't know if I would have done it. How? Okay, so it took you a year. About a with, year off and on, yeah. With the doctors. One day, you will leave the show and the show will continue yep. and someone will replace you yep. and even your understudy. Yep. What How, are they going to do? What are they going to do? How do they do that? The It's... A much easier, if you think about it for like two seconds, it's like a much easier answer than, because it, 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 the, the job requirement is not to do this voice. It's not a job requirement. Beetlejuice right. is a demon. He doesn't, he, he is a thing, which means it can be anything. So the voice I'm doing sort of sounds like Michael Keaton, but not really, mm -hmm. not even close in my opinion, but some people see like the similarities, and I get that. 
But like two of my covers have already done tons of rehearsal in their own voices that doesn't hurt them. I told anybody who wants to like do this role, and I mean anybody, because Beetlejuice is not a him, Beetlejuice is not a her, Beetlejuice is not a they, Beetlejuice is a thing. Mm -hmm. Beetlejuice is, can be played, I hope that one day it's played by a trans person, played by, you know, that's my hope. A woman plays the role for a couple weeks here and there. Like, I just think it would be so cool to watch the thing because Beetlejuice in itself is not human. That'd be incredible. I agree. I think that is what we've shaped it up to be too. There isn't really anything that really says, other than here and there, I'm referenced as a he, but it's because I'm a he. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very easy script change to make and it would be great. But that be the beauty of it is they can add their own whatever voice fits them. Yeah. As long as it's a character voice. Like you, can't, you can't just be like, hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going on Beetlejuice? Right. <laughs> I think that would be a little jarring. But I do think that if they yeah. add to it, and both my covers have completely different Beetlejuice voices, really? and they both work. You have two covers? Two covers. Well, one's on stage every night. One is a standby. Mm -hmm. It's the same standby. His name's Will Blum. He's brilliant. And he, he stood by for me in School of Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's incredible. And his job is to wait upstairs for me to break. Yeah, I mean, literally, that's his job. It's kind of a miraculous, like, Minuteman sort of job that you have to kind of always be ready to go. Picture him upstairs, like... <sighs> I mean, he can't. Smoke, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's why I find it to be so stressful. I was Smoke like, I don't know if I could be a standby because I'd have to always be warming up. Yeah. Like, just in case. And he has gone on. I mean, he went on, like, mid-show. He's done that. Has it really? What happened? No, no, not in Beetlejuice, but we did it in oh, School and, of Rock. Yeah. I mean, you know, you blow out your voice. or Because uh, he stayed on longer than I stayed on, I think. I can't remember. But even the other standbys, you just have to kind of be malleable and ready mm -hmm. to go and i think those guys the standbys and swings oh agree unsung heroes of a show because they never know not only when they're going on but what they're going on for until a minute they're like handed a costume or if they're going to start the show at the same role that they ended in i mean that's the other yeah. like it takes me yeah. that long to do the show if i have to like step into an emotion i would <laughs> completely shatter i would i wouldn't know how to do that yeah. Because I'm not a sociopath. <laughs> I don't know how to just throw on an emotion. That doesn't just happen. Right, right. Uh, so does the, does the, well, I guess on that note, does the, does the emotion that you have on stage, is that, like, if you're in a show mm -hmm. where you were playing, like, a horribly depressed character, would that carry on through, like, off the stage for the whole time you were in the contract? It or? hasn't for me. I can separate. I don't really do the, like, Daniel day lewis like, I'm in character off in the wings. Um, but I think it's only, be, for this one especially, it's because I've spent so much time in the character mm -hmm. that turning it on and off is super easy for me. Like, I, I feel like, you know, the best way to know that you've done right in a character is that if you've woken up out of a nap, you could do it. Right. You don't have to be like, where am I? Where? You know, you can just go into the character and it's a skin that you're wearing. It, I haven't found in any of the characters that I've done that it's really, like, affected my life. Um, I'm... Beetlejuice is a perfect role at a perfect time for me because I just, I'm starting to think about things like, you know, I've had people die in my life recently and, uh, I, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of topics that I find to be taboo. So I think it's a great character to play because he doesn't have really many boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to explore that side of my brain and like the filthy things that I say to my friends. Those are the things I'm saying out loud. <laughs> and you can only imagine things I'm keeping in. So that's fun to like toy with your own brain. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think outside of it, I don't like come home and like roast my wife, like, <laughs> or like make fun of my dog or like treat the Starbucks barista like shit because Beetlejuice is in me somewhere. 
<laughs> he's definitely like an H. He's like a tape that I can play whenever I oh. want. Like I'm a Teddy Ruxpin. That's that. There you go. There's your next marketing virals thing. Beetlejuice go to Starbucks. Beetlejuice just, roasts yeah, everybody. Yeah, just walk. Yeah. You know, I do like roasting people like uh, friendly, but I think you have to love the people you roast. <laughs> Beetlejuice on the subway. That's Beetlejuice right. ordering coffee. See, but that means I have to be in more makeup, and I'm. I've. I think just the amount of makeup I'm in now is just enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're all you're all scruffy. Are you, you supposed to keep the scruff out, or you just not shave, or sometimes you're clean shaven, or what? They. I'll be. Uh, I'll be in the. Uh, they're gonna shave my face. They'll. Uh, what do you call it? They'll buzz my face to a certain length tonight, once oh, a really? week, just to keep it level. But yeah, I keep the scruff for the show. Gets painted on, powdered on, mm-hmm. and all that, and I get my nails painted twice a week. <laughs> Other than that. I, it's a lot of maintenance because the ta- the makeup takes about thirty minutes, and then wigs, and then it's a whole thing. But I've gotten very used to it, and I really like it because there's the benefit is that once it's done, there I am, mm-hmm. and there's nothing easier than looking in the mirror going, "Oh, okay, that's who that is." You feel it big time. It's the ultimate like Halloween mm-hmm. syndrome. You're like, I am Superman when I have this cape on. I definitely feel like a different thing when I have the suit on and look in the mirror and I don't look like myself and I get to complete the look by pulling faces on stage every night and I don't feel any uh, shame doing it. You know, like you're like this, you don't comment on the idea. You just live it for two mm-hmm. and a half hours and later you deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine uh, you have some people come, come dressed as Beetlejuice though, don't you? A lot. Do you, there's a lot of cosplay. A lot of cosplay. A word I learned from this show. Oh, really? Yep. I heard, I'd heard the word. I didn't know what it meant. Uh, tons of people dressing up. Tons of people wearing makeup. There's so much of a following for Beetlejuice in general that what we're thrilled about is that the purists have come see the show because they were like coming to hate it, I think. Mm-hmm. you know, Or they were just careful or they were anxious. And they love it. And not everybody loves every show. I'm sure there are people that are disagreeing with me as I'm saying this. But for the majority, most people have come up to us and we're like, I love both. Like they exist in the same world for me, but they're two different things. And I think you guys did a careful job at making sure that the purists loved it. But that's because, and I think Rob McClure said this, and I agree, we were also worried. We wanted to take good care of it because we liked it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing people don't understand, I think, is that we we weren't just like, what role is this? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. We carefully wanted to be in this show and auditioned <laughs> our asses off to get here. So to ruin it for ourselves is... Uh, masochistic. Has anybody ever stayed at the stage door to tell you negative things? Not on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) There there are people that are like, oh, you look skinnier on stage, (laughs) which is not a compliment. Or, you know, here's the compliment that I would love to never get anymore. And it's, I understand why people say it. They're just saying it wrong. Um, When people say, boy, you just have a natural gift for this. It's not true. <laughs> so much work has gone into this and to everybody has done so much work to do the thing that we're doing that it may look natural and it may look effortless. But for someone to say, boy, God gave you a gift. I said, if, if musical theater came naturally to somebody, that person is a crazy person. <laughs> to go up on stage in a costume and pretend to be somebody for two and a half hours is not natural by definition. So to say, when people are like, it just comes so effortlessly to you, I go, it doesn't. It, that <laughs> discounts the years and hours of like arduous hard work that we put in on and off stage and at home in my bathroom making faces in the mirror for this, that I know what you mean, but stop saying it. <laughs> just say you make it look effortless. Or just, you know what, say good job. 
Yeah. I take that as a compliment. You don't have to be clever with your compliments. We like, nobody hates to be liked. If you're doing the thing, if you're liking somebody, you've done it. But there are, there are like, every once in a while, there's like a fan that will be like, I saw you messed up a line tonight. <laughs> Which is like, kind of, it doesn't insult me ever. It's just kind of like, oddly kind of cool. I was like, wow, you really pay attention. You've been here a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if they've got the script memorized. And part of me yeah. just wants to be like, save your money. Because like, you know, I want you to make sure that you also live your life. Uh, thank you for coming to see my show 19 times. But the sort of Jewish mother in me also was like, make sure you have enough money to eat as well. Uh, but again, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. And it, the, the generational gap I find very interesting. Like you're saying, the purists are probably of a certain age. Yeah. And then all the people who are, who are just now seeing the show for the first time have never seen a Broadway musical or they're finding it on social media or they like the soundtrack, whatever the case is. Or this is their, oh, this is their very first version of Beetlejuice and the right. movie comes second for them, which is also kind of fun. Right, which is weird to me. Like I grew up, you know, I was I was the age of movie. Yeah, I mean, I think I was it 1988. Yeah, yeah, I think it yeah. was. I think it was 88. I was born in 87, so I, I watched it as a kid, but not when it came out. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, it is weird to be like people's first Beetlejuice because it's like it's been around for so long. Uh, but it's fascinating. That's how. That's why I think we're a good adaptation. I just think it's like people don't need to. Someone's like, I don't even want to watch the movie now. I'm like, all right, well, that's your own decision. But like. It's cool that like this satiated you enough as a property mm -hmm. that you don't that you feel like this is the one you want to hold on to. That means a lot to me. Well, it's, you're, you're standing on your own. Yep, that like feels it, nice. It is. It's the same concept, different story. Yep. Yeah, but it feels nice either way. Right. So uh, shifting gears, TV and film. Yes. You still you do some of that. Do you are you doing any at all now? Or did you take time away from the show to to go audition or film things? Now that we've been running for like I think almost six months. Around that, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. um, we have something called outs, which is like you get in your contract, which is you can, if you book a movie or a TV show or a guest star on Law and Order SVU, you can, you have outs for a certain amount of days that have to be cleared by the producers, but you can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's nice because we have a lot of our days free. So why not continue trying to work? Uh, so I've done a little bit of that. I mean, documentary now came in a nice gap. So got to do that, which was again, like fantasy camp for comedy actors <laughs> like myself. Right. Um, but mainly what I do in my off time is I write. And that's become sort of a second part of my career is that I write plays, books for musicals. And I got really fortunate and I got a, I sold the show to NBC two years ago uh, and developed it over the year and then never went to pilot. But it was such a fascinating world that I've now sort of joined that world in a very, very huh. low amateurish way currently. But the benefit is I got to meet all these great people that are involved in that world. Mm -hmm. And now, every fall, right this moment, going out to pitch shows to hopefully get a pilot on the air. And that's been a blast. And my wife and I will write together every once in a while, uh, which is super fun. And my writing partner, Drew Gasparini, and I write musicals together, one of which just did its first workshop uh, with Second Stage and Universal Theatrical, mm. uh, which was an adaptation. Uh, of a novel and a movie called It's Kind of a Funny Story, which is the other Ned Vizzini property. So like the Be More Chill uh, guy wrote this really, really, really heartfelt, funny, uh, bracing account mm -hmm. and semi-autobiographical. He sort of fictionalized the account that he really lived through of him checking himself into a mental institution for five mm -hmm. days because he was thinking about killing himself. The 
great thing about this musical is that it's really pertinent. It's like there are a lot of kids that need to hear the message of this musical that we wrote, which is it's not all, it's it's all right to be not all right. Mm-hmm. That you don't have to use that as a criteria to leave. Like life can be overwhelming, but it's not a it's not a reason to leave. It's a reason to live. Mm-hmm. Like overwhelming is part of life. It's part of the life thing. Just because you feel wrong doesn't mean you shouldn't live. So that's just like big part of this musical. And unfortunately, Ned Vizzini ended up committing suicide. Mm-hmm. That's like the really tragic irony of the thing is that this is a very pro-life. Uh, I mean that not <laughs> in the abortion sense. Right, right. It's very like yay life uh, novel and story. And he ended up not being able to hang and not being able to you know hack the life thing. And it's devastating. And having lost somebody a couple people, but really recently, somebody very close to Beetlejuice went the same way. And it just, this is a story, not necessarily the musical we wrote. You know, I'm not saying this is why we need to do this musical, but it's stories like this that need to get told because this is the way people's lives get to change. If someone sees or hears this musical, they get to go, you know what, maybe life is not as bad as I think it is. Mm-hmm. And if it is, if it is as bad as I think it is, there are ways to get help. I think there are, we're just on the cusp of like finding what I'm going to say, for lack of a better word, that are important musicals. And I don't say like it's important because it means something. It's important because it's something that not a lot of people talk about. Beetlejuice discusses death a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people find that subject to be taboo with their kids, with, their, you know, where did grandma go? The big question, right? And we don't think about that a lot. But our musical, Beetlejuice, allows you to go, wasn't that fun? But also, now that we've experienced it, why don't we talk about it? That's happened with our musical. Mm -hmm. And now, with it's kind of a funny story, as a writer, it's really fulfilling to have people watch it, have an emotional response, and also go, this reminded me of my son when he was going through mental trauma. Or this reminded me of me Mm -hmm. when I was feeling like I wasn't going to be able to make it. So I think just that alone, this workshop, was any indicator. I think it's a musical that people are going to want to see. We're really making big strides to make it authentic so it doesn't feel that like depression and anxiety is this whimsical thing that you can get over. Certainly not the point. It doesn't go away. And that's a big part of our show. That is a big message of our show. It's a big thing. Um, But I do think it's going to be great. I do, I, you know, I'm a little biased because I wrote it, but I do (laughs) think that it is going to be something that people are going to want to see. It's something I'd want to see on stage. Um, And it'll take time. You know, it's not one of those things that needs to rush anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think good musicals don't need to, just because it's good, don't put it up, you know, let it, let it, it work. Let it go up when it needs to go up. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, is, and you, I was reading that you were, you're, you're writing two original musicals. So that's one of them. Do you have another um, one? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're writing, so Drew and I wrote a musical. The first thing we ever wrote was called Make Me Bad. And it was this musical about a serial killer that I believe truly, by the way, was ahead of its time. And I'm saying that with no irony. I think that it was just hard to read, hard to listen to, hard to watch. It got produced. And it, it sold out. It sold out and extended um, at the Bloomington Playwrights Project. And it is very a gritty telling, a totally original story of a girl who, uh, you know, a, a, a woman in her 30s who has lived in Montana, hasn't done a lot with her life, and has taken care of her mom. That's sort of her job. And has not done anything for herself. And she works at a diner. And she meets a guy that changes her life. Except we know as an audience that this guy is a serial killer. And they genuinely fall in love with each other. Mm. 
except the fact that she doesn't know anything about him. Right. And you kind of watch those events play out and it becomes a sort of, no winking at this genre at all, a very true thriller horror musical with real danger. The first five minutes of it take place in complete darkness and you're just listening to two guys that have been trapped. Wow. Um, so we're trying to get that off the ground somewhere. Like it's just a thing that was like, it isn't all that commercial. You know, it's like, you don't want to bring your family of four to the murder musical. <laughs> so there's that. Um, we have the, uh, we're adapting this children's novel called The Whipping Boy, which is a Newbery Award winner and uh, big, fun, bombastic, wicked, you know, scale type musical about a king, uh, uh, sorry, a, a, a prince uh, who is a jerk and you can't, the whole rule of the kingdom is you can't hit him. And so they've hired a kid from the streets that they hit instead. Oh, so He's the whipping boy. And it's a journey. They take a journey outside of the castle where they kind of both realize outside of castle walls, they're just two 10 year old boys and their roles have been given onto them mm -hmm. and they sort of learn and there's, you know, bandits and all that kind of thing. But they, it's a fun, it's a story about, you know, who we really are when we're not dressed the same. And, um, oh man, you got a lot of, a lot of depth in you. I have depth in me. Can I tell you really quickly about that? Here's how much depth I have in me. Hey, this is the two plays I wrote aren't the, the, the two plays I wrote and the one I'm working on are none of them comedies. <laughs> one of them, uh, which I'm, uh, I'm extremely proud of all of them. I just think that they're all just interesting enough stories, especially now. And it's weird how when you finish something and then the world takes a turn and you're like, wow, this is the play I wrote. Yeah. Uh, one of them is about five guys who come back to their sixth friend's funeral and decide to dig up a time capsule they buried at senior year of high school. They're now in their late 30s. And inside the time capsule is all these fun things, but also a rape accusation. That it was became a cold case huh. many years ago in their last night, last week of senior year. And they have to suss out what the hell is going on. What, why is this in there? What's the deal? And it, it takes the place over the course of about an hour and a half over the same night. Um, in the quad of their school where they dug it up. Yeah. Um, and that's titled, We Left It Here. Um, and the other one is called Everything is Fine, which was about the second year anniversary of a mall shooting and the mom, dad, and son of the brother who committed the shooting and how they, if they are able to move on and defy their new identity as that kid's family, can that even be possible? This kid's now, this younger brother is now applying for colleges with the same last name as the kid who is now synonymous with murder. Right. And I just found it fascinating, the idea that we always interview the families of the victims. We never sort of see the other side of it. And, I, and maybe rightly so, but I thought it was a fascinating idea to just see how you could possibly defy an identity you never asked for and that you spent your whole life cultivating one identity and in seconds, now you're not, you're not, you know, Alan, you're that guy's friend. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just a subject that hadn't been discussed. There was a play that just opened, I think, at the Roundabout Underground that sort of discusses a similar topic, which is, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it was called a, a Clean Place, I think it was called, something like that. Uh, but I'm glad these things are happening. Uh, and then the third one, again, not a comedy <laughs> and also not a musical. Uh, it's called Slow Children, and it's about a middle school. Uh, it's a, essentially like a morality, like 12 Angry Men type play, where yeah. it's a board of a middle school meeting because a month ago, a kid with Down syndrome 
walked outside of the school grounds and was involved in a hit and run where he died and the car sped away, but there was no stop sign or speed bump. So the idea is, do we spend school money on a commemorative, on a, a, you know, a memorial speed bump and stop sign to prevent further accidents? Seems simple until you find out everybody's thoughts on the event and, and who's to blame and what's the thing, you know, and it becomes very like God of carnage, a very simple event, except it's so not simple when you think about it. And, Dude, you you have you have so impressed me. Oh, right thanks. Now. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do is impress you. But I, I just like I think when I mention these things, it's not to gloat. It's to like I really like, and uh, my wife and I are this are very similar in this respect. We like to encourage people to continue doing things. Like when you're bored, write. When you're bored, read. When you're bored, don't just sit on your couch going, "I'm bored." Especially now, and like we help a lot of writers, like young writers that want to write we we're the two people that go do it there's so much well there's so much ability to be distracted that i think it's hard for people to focus now it is i get that and that's why people like my wife and i i think exist in some people's lives which is like to go to say hey how's that thing you're working on if only to make them feel embarrassed that they hadn't right because then they'll work on it no, nothing like shaming better. your friends. Dude, yeah. I, I count, I'm so good at accountability with my friends. When they, I, I, they, I'd always say, don't tell me you're writing something unless you are. Because if you're not, I will check in on you. With oh, dude, dude, I'm the same. I'm like, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I tell you I will help you, I will help you. Rob McClure is writing a novel. And it's this really cool thing. And I'm not going to, just for the sake of... I don't know how much he wants to put out there what it is. It's just very cool and it's fantasy and it's uh, based on something. It's adjacent world of something. And it, I'm thrilled about it. And when he told me the idea, I was like, you have to do that. I mean, it's the idea is so good. And throughout the course of like going to DC with Beetlejuice and rehearsing it, he always saw me on breaks writing. And he said, this is his words. He's like, I started doing that. And then I would also come in and be like, where's that thing you're writing? I want to read it. I want to read more. Right. And so by virtue of that, he's like, knee deep in writing it and it's I'm so excited to read the whole thing I'm so excited for everyone to read the thing and it couldn't be more Rob McClure if you know Rob McClure the the property he's dealing with couldn't be more up his alley I, <laughs> I, I like leaving you in the dust a little bit with that because the mystery and now <laughs> I've said it on a podcast so now Rob has to finish it <laughs> <laughs> ultimate accountability all right well we have to get you to your show tonight so oh, right. gonna, I forgot I had a show <laughs> we're gonna get you to wrap up here so there's three standard questions I ask everybody to end the episodes the first one is what motivates you money no <laughs> no done what motivates me is the people that haven't seen the thing I've done yet so I owe it to them to be as good as the thing they were told about Next question then, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people now listening out, starting out down a, down a similar path that is different from don't decorate your dressing room? Yep. Don't think about Broadway. A lot of people ask, how do I get to Broadway? And that is an unanswerable question. It's different paths. It's different people. My thing, it's the most cliche thing you're going to hear over the course of your career. But I'm telling you this literally, live in the moment. The thing you're doing right now, remember that you're doing it. If you're doing a show that is a weekend long, two performances over Saturday and Sunday, don't think about the next show you're going to do. Think about the show you're in. Make eye contact with the performers you're doing it with. Otherwise, when you get to a certain age and you are on Broadway, hopefully with any luck, you will forget all the things that brought you there. I wish I knew more of that. I started doing it pretty early, but I wish I did it even earlier. 
So really, truly, like live in the moment. And I don't say that as, as an aspirational quote or an encouraging quote, actually live in the moment. Okay, so then the final question. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as the you Who's want. Tommy? All right. Hands down, the Who's Tommy? Every time. Okay, yep. sweet. So we can find you online on Twitter, A Bright Monster at A Bright Monster. Yep. And you can get more of me, thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. Get me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Listen and subscribe. Tell your friends. Leave a rating. I read the reviews. They're so much fun. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And I love Jukebox the Ghost. Do you? I love them. Well, you will hear them when you listen to yourself now. They played my wife in in my, that's the song, one of their songs played my wife and I as the first couple into our wedding. Really? Yes. Fred Astaire. Wow. Yep. I love I love the off the Shout out to album. Jukebox the Ghost. Yeah. Love them. I love those guys. Yes. Well, thank you, Jukebox. You have influenced everyone's life. <laughs> and uh, Alex Brightman, thank you for being here. This has Pleasure. been wonderful. My man. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.